Good morning. The scripture reading from this morning is John chapter 5, verses 18 through 29. Um, You're welcome to follow along on the screen behind me. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, last week, we're we're in our series on in the book of John. We're going to be here, guys. Just settle in. We're going to be here for a while, if you haven't paid up on that. Uh, we're in our series in John, and last week we saw Jesus heal a lame man, a, a paralytic at the pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem. Uh, this man had been lame or paralyzed for 38 years. And what we saw last week, what we kind of honed in on is we saw, uh, this is how, we saw how Jesus deals with sinners. Because that man wasn't just disabled, he wasn't just uh, a, a, a paralytic for 38 years, but he was a terrible sinner. Uh, He was sort of dull and obtuse and ungrateful in his dealings with Jesus. He was healed. He didn't even say thank you to Jesus or seek out who it was that had healed him. In fact, uh, kind of bleeding into our passage this week, whenever he found out who it was that healed him, he went and told the authorities, ran to them and said, and tattled on Jesus and said, that's the man that healed me so they could go after him. Now, it was... An amazing healing that Jesus showed compassion to this man who was, uh, not only had been hurt and paralyzed for almost four decades, but who was ungrateful and a sinner in himself. It was amazing healing because it was an affliction that had lasted so long, and it was an amazing healing and that it was instantaneous. Whenever he said, rise up and walk, the man who had been able to walk for that long, suddenly stood up, rose, and walked, picked up his mat, and carried it with him. And it was an amazing healing in that it was given to this type of man. 
Now, the problem was, the problem that kind of got around was that this healing had happened on the Sabbath or a Saturday. Now, the Sabbath was a holy day, and it was unlawful to do any work on the Sabbath. And so this is what had happened. Jesus had healed this man, and they said, the Jews around him said, particularly the Jewish leaders said, hey, you healed this man. Hey, miss, miss the headline. I tell my kids this sometimes, this like whenever we talk about something like you're missing the headline. They missed the headline. This man who had been disabled for 38 years is now healed, but they said, no, that's work. Not only that, but when Jesus told him, rise, he also told the man to pick up the mat that he had been laying upon. The man picked up the mat and carried it, and guess what? That was work. Jesus had healed the man on the Sabbath. That was work. And he had called, told this man, pick up your mat and go. And this is what happened next. John five fifteen through 18, the man went away, and he told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed them. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, this is what Jesus answered to them, about why he should be able to heal this man on the Sabbath and why he could tell this man to pick up his mat and walk. Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I'm working This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was, this is big block letters here, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. You see, the Jews weren't angry that he had healed this man. Few of us get bothered over Jesus' miracles. You may have trouble believing them. You might have, as we're reading the story, you might have trouble believing that, that Jesus actually healed this man who had been disabled for 38 years. But the accounts don't disturb you because it's nice to think about a paralyzed man being able to walk, isn't it? His healings don't disturb us. The Jews were angry about his, the, his miracle. He was angry because of what the miracle said about him and what he said about himself in that he claimed to be equal with, or rather, we're going to hone in on this, or rather, to be God. That's what caused these Jews to want to kill him. And that's what disturbs us, too. Because dealing with a man who can do miracles is one thing. There are a lot of things in this world that are difficult to explain, right? Phenomenon that's hard to explain. Dealing with a man who can do miracles is one thing, but dealing with somebody who claims to be God is a whole other thing. It forces a response of some sort. Here's the truth. Someone who truly, truly believes that they are God either has to be killed or worshipped. Someone who truly, truly believes not just pretends, but somebody who truly, truly believes to be God either has to be killed or they have to be worshipped. There really is no central ground between them. Ignoring that person is not an option because I'm not talking about somebody who pretends to be God or somebody who says they're God. I mean, if somebody truly, truly believes that they are God, they can do a lot of damage. Because being God includes the prerogative of total self-rule. Can you imagine what somebody, if, if you or I truly believed that we were God and we acted according to it, what would we do? What would you do to other people around you if you truly believed that you were God? If someone truly believes they're God, 
the prerogative of self-rule belongs to them and being able to determine good and evil lies upon that person. If someone truly believes that they are God, then they get to determine life or death. That's what we call murderers. Someone who believes that they are truly God, they get to determine what is good and evil and who gets to live and who gets to die. So do you see why somebody who claims to be God, someone who truly believes to be God, they can't just be ignored? Because their life will absolutely bleed over into other people's lives. They will try to exert authority and power over the other people around them. Someone who thinks they get to determine good and evil and also gets to take life at will, you will have to deal with them at some point, at some point and that's what these Jews knew. And here's what Jesus did. He didn't leave any gray area about who he considered himself to be, who he was. What this passage is dealing with is how we have to deal with Jesus, or how do we deal with Jesus? How do you deal with Jesus? How do you respond to him? How do you interact to him, interact with him? And this passage shows us the answers to these questions. What did Jesus think of himself? And what were the parameters that he set about how other people were to, react, to interact with him? This is a key issue and it's of paramount importance to you and to me. How do we interact with or deal with Jesus? Now I want you to really think about this today. I want you to really place yourself as best as you possibly can in this setting, as best you can. It'd be easy to skip over, hey, this guy, we're in church, this guy's talking about Jesus is God. Surprise, surprise. I'm thinking about lunch now. But I want you to really hear this. Jesus showed up and he defied everything that these people thought they knew about what was good and what was right. And they learned that they took the Sabbath very seriously and they had learned that God takes the Sabbath very seriously and it was holy and it seemed like Jesus was treating it lightly. lightly. But not only that, he had the audacity to, to claim the prerogative that he could do whatever he pleased, he could work in whatever way he chose because he had the full authority of God. Now I want you to stop right there. Now you may not have the same scruples about working on the Sabbath on Saturday. But there are a number of other things, other thoughts, other assumptions, other theories, other beliefs that you have about the way that God is and about the way things work, about what's important and what's not. And if someone showed up saying that you are wrong and that you are wrong simply because they decided what was right and what was wrong, because that's what God gets to do, that confronts you and me. Would you follow that person? Would you follow someone who says what you believe to be right or wrong, the way that you think things should work or the way things do work is wrong, but you still have to follow me and worship me, bow down to me because I alone am God, would you? I guarantee you that's what Jesus does to you and me. Not one person in this room has 100% pure and right thoughts and beliefs about God and about the way things work and should work. Only God has that knowledge. 
And he will, if you live your life and follow him, if you read his word, if you try to follow him according to the parameters that he has set, you will at times run cross and counter to God and to what he says about himself. And the choice that we all have to face is, will I bow down and worship him and follow him simply because he is God, whether I agree or not, or will I say, no, what I believe and what I think is supreme and above Jesus? You see, Jesus confronts Every single one of us in our assumptions and our beliefs, just like he confronts these Jews. Jesus is saying, when you encounter me, you're not just encountering a good person. You're not just encountering a wise teacher. You're not encountering a a good counselor. You're not encountering a, a powerful being. When you encounter me, you are encountering the person of the Son of God. And what he said was, the Son of God is absolutely unique in his relationship to the Father. This is what drove them crazy. This is what can drive you and I crazy. He said, I'm, the relationship I have with the Father is absolutely unique. I alone am the Son of God. So Jesus said to them, verse 19 of chapter 5, truly, truly, by the way, just Mark down, anytime you read the words of Jesus, if he, said, if he breaks out a truly, truly, or you're reading a version that says verily, verily, like you should pay attention to everything Jesus says, but when he breaks out a truly, truly, or verily, verily, you need to stop and pay a careful, careful attention to what he is saying after that. Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing, he's talking about himself, can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. He's talking about the tightness of their relationship and his submission to the Father. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. What Jesus says is, he says, look, When I'm doing these miracles on the Sabbath, I'm not competing with God, because that's what they're accusing him of. He says, I'm doing these things because I am the unique son of God. I have a relationship with God that is tighter than you can ever imagine. I am the only begotten son of God, very God of very God. And here's what they would hear when he said this. When he says, I am, he's saying, I am God. Whenever he says, I am the son, and I only do what the father shows me, and he loves me, this is what he's saying. They would have heard this. In Jewish society, no matter how many kids a man had, no matter how many sons a man had, the eldest son received everything. Absolutely everything. So if this man was a rich, important man, This man was a rich, important man. The eldest son was the same man. If his father was a rich, important man, his son was the same man. Because the father's estate, all of it, was his estate. The father's position was his position. So when Jesus says this, whatever the father does, 
that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. He is claiming that He, as the Son, is unique in His relationship to the Father. He is claiming to be the Son of God. The Son that is unique in the love that He shares with the Father. From all time, before time began, the eternally begotten Son of God has been the recipient of the great love of the Father and has loved the Father back. And all that the Father does, he has shown to the Son. And all that the Son does, he has submitted to the Father and they have worked together throughout all of eternity. And all creation that we see is a result of the Father working with the Son together. That's what he's saying. He's saying the Son is unique in his relationship of love to the Father, and he, the Father reveals everything he does to the Son, and that he says, because of that, I am submitted in all things to the Father. I have lowered myself as I came on earth as a man, as a human being, to do all that the Father tells me to do, but yet he and I are still one. Before Abraham was, he says somewhere else, I am. And he also says, I and the Father are working the same works. We are working together. We have deep unity and communion like that. We are always in lockstep, and I operate in the same authority and power as the Father. That's who Jesus is. Jesus isn't just a man. He isn't just somebody who we pick and choose whether we follow him or not, whether I'm going to ask him into my heart or not, whether I'm going to make him my Lord or not. You can make those decisions. You can wrestle with those things, but it does not change who he is. He is the eternal son of God. He holds the universe in the palm of his hand. He holds everything together by the word of his power. He is unique in his relationship to the Father. He has been loved for all all time, and he is the exact representation of the Father. Father to you and to me. You can decide, I'm going to acknowledge you as God or not, but it does not change one iota whether he is God or Lord or not. Whether you and I are follow him today or tomorrow, tomorrow, whether you obey him today or tomorrow or not, it does not take away from him one ounce of glory or authority. Before you and I were created, before any star was spun into being, he was he was wisdom with the Father when the, before the world began. When the universe was flung into existence, he was the one who was there with the Father to see that it was done. That's who he is. That's why it's so amazing that he took on flesh and was standing here in their midst. The eternal Son of God, loved by the Father, of union and communion with the Father throughout, before time began, throughout all eternity past, present and future, before time began, he was, was standing in their midst as a Jewish man. We don't come to Jesus bringing anything to him. We come to him as Lord and King and God. He is the eternal Son of God. And he and the Father share the attributes of God. Listen to what he says. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, verse 21, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Truly, 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 hear it? Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Jesus says that he gives Life 
in general. He's the one who gives life. He's the one who was participating with the Father in creation. Your life is owed to him. Your breath is owed to him. But also he's saying, hey, that man that I spoke to and rose after he had been paralyzed for 38 years, those, those dead people that I raised from the dead, I spoke life to them and they responded, not because I'm some wise man or great teacher or a powerful person, but because I am the eternal son of God, equal to the father, of one being with the father. And so when I spoke, they responded. Christian, that is the Lord that you follow. You don't follow a weak Lord. You don't have to wonder who has your next breath or who has your, what you need for tomorrow, who has your next meal. I don't care how much money you have in the bank or do not have in the bank. I don't care what your past looks like or what your future looks like before you. I don't care what is in your bank account or how many questions that you have about today or tomorrow, health or life or death. He is the eternal son of God. And if he is your Lord, he has all power at his disposal. What is man to do to you? What have you also to do to yourself? Man, I've made some terrible decisions. You don't know the decisions I made last week? They're so terrible. They're going to change my life. Yet you're still in the palm of his hands. Your Lord is the eternal begotten Son of God, equal to the Father, and he gives life to those he wills. And he says, I'm also the one who speaks life to those who are spiritually dead. Those who are far away. Those who are broken and dead in their trespasses and sins. I speak life. It's not about, about you being a good person. It's not about you trying to get your life together. If he speaks life to you, life grows inside you, whether you will it or not. Whether you think you can hold yourself together or not. Whether you can follow all his commands or not. He speaks life to you, and he will give you the power and the ability to follow him. It's not your job to worry about what he's going to ask you to do after he calls you to follow him. Your only question is, will I respond to his word? Then he says, I'm the one who will speak life to those who are dead and have passed away. And at my voice, every person who has lived will be resurrected. Those who have done evil to judgment those who have done good, those who will get to have trusted in me to life everlasting. Jesus says, like the Father, I give life. And he says, this is amazing, like the Father, Jesus says, I receive worship. Verse 23, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father, or worship the Son just as they worship the Father. Whoever does not honor or worship the Son does not honor or worship the Father who sent him. Jesus doesn't just say he can receive worship. He calls for, or rather, he commands it. Jesus commands for us to worship him. He says, I am worthy to be marveled at. I am worthy to be honored and adored. That's who I am. Jesus receives worship, and Jesus is the great judge of mankind. Verse 22 and 27 through 29, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. 
Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus says, I am the unique son of God, and because I became human, he fully represents God to us, and he says, I'm the unique son of man because I am God who became human. I understand your nature and your limitations. And he's been given, because of that, authority to execute judgment. This belongs to God alone. It's been understood from the beginning that every person, every person, faces a reckoning for our life. Every person, regardless of your wealth, your education, your social standing, your background, every person faces a reckoning for our life, for our deeds. Way back in Ecclesiastes, it says, Ecclesiastes 11.9, he said, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. God will bring every deed into judgment, he says later in Ecclesiastes. And Jesus is telling us that he is the one who executes this great judgment. Paul said, on that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Everything. Acts 17, 31, because he is fixed today on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The existence of Jesus and his resurrection is the proof that he is the one who will judge the living and the dead for all the deeds that we have done. Just think about it. There are deeds that you have done that no one else in the world knows that you will give an account for that. Jesus is the great judge, and he is the one before whom we will all stand, all of us, without exception, each of us individually. And it will come to everyone, and there is no escaping. No escaping it. Even those who are in the tombs will arise when they hear him call, and they will arise to give an account to him, and he He will not only be the judge, but he will be the fulcrum. He will be the the deciding point between resurrection to life or resurrection to judgment. And the truth is that not only will we stand before him sometime in the future, but we all stand before him now. Our response to the Son of God, our affection for the Son of God, our worship of the Son of God is shown in our belief in him or our lack of belief in him, and that is already determining whether we're standing in judgment and condemnation or whether we are standing in life and resurrection. Whoever whoever believes in him, listen to this, is not condemned But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he does not, he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Here's the thing. You don't have to wonder where you stand in the judgment of God. 
You don't have to wonder whether you've done enough to be on the good side. You don't have to wonder about these bad deeds that you've done or these good deeds that you've done. You don't have to wonder where you stand in the judgment of God. It only stands upon your response to his son, the son of God. Jesus Christ alone is the revelation of God's nature and his character. He is to be worshipped. He is the great judge. And he is the one about whom we will be judged. All this adds up to this. That Jesus is the magisterial or majestic son of God. You can have your own thoughts about him. You can like what he teaches or not like what he teaches. You can agree or disagree with his words. You can take umbrage of what he has to say about any number of things. You can kick back at him about the way he runs the world. You can question his providence that he has ordered in your life. You can chafe under his instructions on how you should live your life. But Jesus does not give us an option to pick or choose how we view him or respond to him. Jesus is the majestic, the eternal Son of the living, almighty God. And we must deal with him according to that truth. And he is telling us that that we will all deal with him as such. That is how we will all and have to deal with him. Because he is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the revealing of God's nature. He's the image, we're told in Colossians, of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And through him, he is reconciling all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the holder of life, and death and judgment. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. And because Jesus is the majestic eternal son of the eternal living almighty God, the only proper response is submission. The only, proper, uh, the only proper posture is bowing to him. Not passing judgment upon him. Not deciding, I like what you say about this, but I don't like what you say about this. I'm going to follow you. I'm not going to follow you. If I can convince myself or the people around me that this isn't actually what you say that you believe, then I will follow you because I don't know what else to do. No, he is the eternal son of God. And the only proper response is submit to him and bow to him, not pass judgment upon him because he is the eternal living son of God. And for us to try to pass judgment upon him is not only wrong, it's pointless. The Father has given the Son his majesty so that, he said, we may marvel. Like when you look at the sun and it shines brightly in your eyes and it it kind of blinds you when you look at it, that's what it's like to look upon the sun in his glory. 
to marvel at him, to wonder at him, to be impressed by him, to be dazzled by him, to be smitten by him, to worship him is what I'm saying. And look, amazingly at what Jesus is saying, this is what he's saying will cause the greatest marveling. That Jesus alone is the mediator between God and man. That's what he says will cause the greatest marvel. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes them, him who, who believes him who has sent me will have eternal life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Because Jesus is the Son of God and because he's also the Son of Man, he isn't just the judge, he is the mediator between God and man. Here's what he's saying here. He isn't trying to get you to change your life out of fear of judgment. Did you notice he didn't say that here? He didn't say, fear that I will be your judge, so therefore you need to go and be better. Those who do better will inherit eternal life. Those who have it together will inherit eternal life. He's not manipulating us with fear. He isn't calling us to a better, more moral life. Now, should you live a better, more moral life? Should you be kinder, humbler, more loving, less self-centered? Absolutely. Remember, we're accountable for all our deeds. But he isn't saying the path out of judgment and condemnation is for you to be better. He doesn't offer any hope that way. He says your only hope, our only hope, is for him, the Son of Man, to bring us to the Father. And that's what he came to do. He is the great judge, but his incarnation isn't to judge us. It was to offer salvation to us. John 3, 17, for God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, to judge, yes, but not, he didn't send him to condemn the world, that wasn't the point, but that through, in order that the world might be saved through him. That's the hope of the Christian. Our hope is that our judge is also our savior. What kind of love is that? That the judge and the wrong party should become the payer of such a terrible penalty. And that's what Jesus is. He's the Savior. He's not only the Son of God and the Son of Man, He's the crucified, the sacrificed Son of God and man. The Son of God is the slain Lamb. And He is the one who gives life. He speaks life to the dead. Is that you today? Are you one who is, he has spoken life to who are dead? Are you one who is under condemnation but yet has believed in Christ, the only Son of God? Believe that he is the judge and that he is the Savior for those who trust in him. Who believe that he came as man to bring you to the Father. Is that you today? If not, don't, don't think, oh wow, I'm going to leave here and try to be a better person or place your trust in him today. Believe in him today. 
If you think there's anything that you need to do or have to do in order to believe in him, you're not understanding what he is speaking to your heart. Believe in me and you'll be saved. If you are one who has believed in him, who has spoken, he has spoken life to your dead soul, are you glorying in that truth today? Are you honoring, marveling at, worshiping the Son of God? See, he is either God, the Son of God, or he is the greatest monster and charlatan in history. Because he didn't say, here's how you live a better life. He said, trust in me for your salvation. And if there are millions and billions of people who since he said this, who have placed their trust in him, waiting to see themselves united to the Father at their death and resurrection, then he is a monster. Or he is the Son of God who we bow to and worship. And he is fully capable to save those who place their trust in him. And if that's true, then Christian, you have nothing to fear. Death, cancer, old age, troubling family, trouble with your friends, trouble in your finances. The Son of God is your Savior. And he won't only save you from your sins, he'll bring you to himself at the end. And he will freely give you all things. He will share his inheritance with the Father with us. He already is sharing his inheritance with you if you're a believer. You say, man, you don't see what, what kind of shoes I'm wearing or what I have in my pocket when I came in here. You don't know who I am when I'm alone. He's freely given you all things in Christ if you're his. He simply says this. Do you hear me? And are you believing me? Do you hear me? And are you believing me? That's all he says. And the truth is that you and I will either submit to him if you're a Christian or you will constantly be frustrated by him because he won't do everything that you and I think that he should do in the way and time that we think that he should do it. He won't even, he isn't even aligned with everything that we believe or think that he should stand for. You can be a frustrated Christian Or you can honor him. Truly worship him. Not just for what he has done that you like, but for who he is. Giving him honor and worship. That's all the sweeter when you don't understand or you don't agree. He is your judge or your life giver. If you're, if you're set against him, Against this Jesus, where's your hope? If you're set against this Jesus, this Son of God, the only Son of God, 
Where's your hope? But Christian, if he is for you, and I guess this is a theme for our church right now, who can stand against you? What shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? Hey, believer, hear this. Let this breed faith in your soul. If God is for you, who can be against you? That person who believes that and knows that walks humbly and confidently at the same time. Humbly because I did not get what I deserve, but confident because Christ, the Son of God, who holds judgment and life in his hand, who is forever worshipped and honored by the angels and creatures in heaven with the Father, is my Savior. If God is for us, who can stand against us? Believer, if God is for you, who can stand against you? That is who you are. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. We're going to celebrate communion together. There'll be two stations, one on each side. As you come forward today, whenever they're set, feel free to come whenever you like. You'll take the, the bread and the juice, head back to your seat, and then Dale will come up and lead us in communion. If you, if you are a believer in Christ, it is open for you today. Come and receive the broken body and the shed blood of Christ for you today. And do so as you receive that little cup and that piece of bread Receive it saying, this is a sign, one little physical sign that God is for me. And if this is true, if he broke the body of his son and his son shed his blood for me, he will bring me through to the end. If he is for me, who can be against me? If you're not a Christian today, take this time, this song, pray. Come up and grab me. and don't, don't worry about who is around. Come up and grab me or grab somebody beside you and say, I want to know more. I need to follow Christ. I need to place my trust in him today. I want to know how to do that. Do that. Father, it is through the eternal Son of God become man that we come before you. We are so aware of our failings. We're so aware of our sin, of our mess-ups. We're so aware of how we can't seem to pull things together. We're so aware of what other people have done to us, what they say about us. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to grow in the knowledge of what you say about us and who you are to us. Lord, help us in our struggles, to submit and bow to you as Lord, as King, as Son of God, no matter whether we agree or not. And we pray that you would help us to bring us to agreement, but if not, Lord, help us to submit even whenever we don't understand. Assure us, Lord, I pray, in this bread and in this juice, May it become something miraculous as we consume it to be an amazing assurance 
that if God is for us, there is nothing that can stand against us. We pray in the name of Christ.